Hello, and welcome to the Conquering Columbus podcast. I'm Mike. We got Tim over there. Tim, how you doing today? Doing okay. Uh, the crew lost the other night, and I'm still... I'm having a tough time. I don't know. Do, you, do you follow soccer at all? I do not. I was a you know wrestler in college, so we don't follow the uh, the sports like that. <laughs> the real ones? Yeah. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. Uh, so, so I grew up playing soccer. I was like, oh, I thought my life was going to be. And, you know, obviously the crew coming to Columbus when I was a kid, been a lifelong fan. Uh, you know, they had a tur- they have a tournament. So they did group stage where we played really well. We were in first place. And then they went to the knockout rounds and we lost on penalties, which is a bummer in soccer. You can play for an entire game and then it comes down to basically a coin flip because mm-hmm. it's just penalty kicks. Like you, yep. you just line up and we lost on penalties. So that Who was a bummer. Who did we lose to? Minnesota. Minnesota, huh? Yeah, Ooh. they're they're two of the top three teams. Well, we're two of the top three teams currently in the MLS. How'd they get matched up? Um, basically, like there's a group stage where you get, you have four different teams and you uh-huh. earn points based on how many, you know, if you win, draw, oh, or lose. So, they didn't do it. so Minnesota must not have done well in the group stage. No, they were in a different group. And so then depending on where your placement, the top two from each group moves on and then they play uh, people from other gotcha. groups. Yeah. So okay. it's just a, the, the tournament brackets kind of, kind of weird, but it's kind of like the world cup. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, the okay. world cup. Yeah. I know how that works. Yeah. So um, you do the group stages and you right, qualify right. and then, and then you move on. All right. Well, we're a little sidetracked here. It's all uh, right. This week on the show. Well, first off, I guess people are wondering where Josh is. He's in Texas. So once again, me and Tim hanging out for the intro here, but he'll be on the podcast when you listen later. That being said, we had Kevin Crowley on the show this week and Kevin is uh, the founder and owner at Locks Bagel Shop. That's true. And Josh is a big Locks Bagels fan. Oh man, like big fact, like Josh probably eats more Locks Bagels than anybody yeah, in Columbus. He's keeping him in business for sure. The man, well, I don't know about that. They seem like they're <laughs> doing pretty good, but Josh will eat. If you go and ask for the Josh Wit, I'm sure that they will give it to you. Yeah, I think, isn't that what we decided at the end of the episode, that he was going to get a bagel named after him? I don't know if he was going to get a bagel named after him, but I'm sure if you ask for it. Let's just say, yeah, he's got a bagel. Everybody go ask for it, and then it'll (laughs) have to happen. We're going to make it happen. But uh, so Kevin was great to talk to. He's had a lot of experiences, but he went to culinary school and, you know, he worked at a lot of different restaurants before getting that itch to want to do his own thing. And came here to Columbus and founded Locks Bagels. So I actually did an episode with him, an entire podcast, and then accidentally deleted it. So I'm glad that. We're this back. one we looped got it back finished around. and didn't get deleted. So. That's right. That's right. Well, uh, you know, as always, everybody, we hope you guys enjoy the episode. Hope you learn a lot. And uh, thanks so much for tuning in. We'll be right back. Yeah, enjoy it. This is Conquering Columbus. It's falling through the air. And I fell 450 feet through the air before I slammed into the mountain the first time. Hey there, Conquerors. Today on the show, we have... Cameron Mitchell of Cameron Mitchell Restaurants. One of our goals is to be better today than we were yesterday and better tomorrow than we are today. And that goal stays the same 24-7, 365. Jenny Brittenbauer of Jenny's Splendid Ice Creams. I'm truly never comfortable. When I'm comfortable, I'm bored. I just have to keep going. Only when you're a little bit scared are you in a place where you're about to learn something. We're explorers and explorers are making discoveries because they are going places people haven't before. Greg Oden. Push yourself. You know, we hear about a lot of people who in the times that they've struggled and push themselves the most is when they figure it out the most about themselves. Donato's Jane Abel. We have a umbrella idea of agape capitalism, which is about doing business and doing it with love and giving back to the community. And I believe in our product, but more importantly, I believe in our people. The Ohio State University President, Dr. Michael Drake. When you really take yourself to your limit and then push yourself to do your very best. Pelotonia CEO, Doug Ullman. There's this genuine pride for things that were born and raised in Columbus. And that's awesome. At the same time, there's this beautiful 
Midwest humility. People don't necessarily care about who gets credit. White Castle CEO Lisa Ingram. As human beings, I think we really like stability and doing things the same, but everybody knows you don't really grow. And so the other great thing about human beings is we want to learn new things. Urban Meyer. There's one guarantee in this world, and that's hard work will be rewarded. And hard work, you have to embrace this comfort. I love how you said that, live uncomfortably. This is Conquering Columbus. Hey there, Conquerors. Welcome to another episode of the Conquering Columbus podcast. And today on the show, we're joined by Kevin Crowley, owner and founder at the Lox Bagel Shop. And Kevin has been in the restaurant business his whole life. And while not originally from Columbus, he found his way here for undergrad at OSU before leaving undergrad to attend culinary school. Kevin came back for his MBA in 2018, and he and his wife decided to found the Lox Bagel Shop. We're excited to talk with Kevin about his story and what things have been like for the Lox Bagel Shop in his first two years. Welcome to Conquering Columbus, Kevin. Thank you very much. Yeah, it's exciting to have you here. And we've also Same. got our special guest, Ezra, over uh, <laughs> lying, lying there. Josh got a dog, and Ezra's here in the studio with us. Yeah, you think it's funny? Don't say her name. You're going to cause complete, <laughs> oh, complete no. chaos. She's a little confused already, so we're going to stop. The, the only thing she relates that to is food. Uh-huh. So, uh-uh. Unless you got some bagels on you, I nah. suggest. Uh, <laughs> I should have. I should have brought. You're I right. suggest we spell yeah, it yeah. out. Josh is like, yeah, you know, where's my like free bagel yeah, card, right? man? The just, just so everyone knows, Josh is probably the number one customer at Lodge sure. Bagel Shop. Yep. Do you think I take number one? Most frequent? Yeah, for sure. Wow. <laughs> wow. And I was disappointed in myself. Now I'm extremely proud. Well, yeah. with, your, with your DoorDash add-on, you're at like a $15, $20 sandwich each well, time. Well, we didn't have, so we didn't have to throw stuff. numbers. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yeah. I didn't say expose my financial situation. <laughs> Josh is a big fan of the bagel. But so, Kevin, typically where we like to start is just get a little bit of background on yourself. Yeah. So you, obviously, you're not originally from Columbus. Where did no. you grow up? So I'm from Cincinnati, came up to Columbus. My old man went to Ohio State. My sister came here. So was in and around the area a whole bunch. Uh, kind of knew in the back of my head this is where I was going to end up for college at some point. Took a little bit of a detour, started down at Xavier in Cincinnati, and then came up to Ohio State, worked uh, or studied, whatever you want to call it, for a couple of years. Uh, at that time, I started working in restaurants uh, for the first time. And it's truly a labor of love if if people that you know are in this business and they choose to be in this business for their career. It's something that they've got the itch uh, right out of the gates. And that was me. And so I found myself going to work and not going to school at all. And uh, so we just decided to end school and pursue this and went to culinary school, worked a number of different jobs, kind of circled back. And uh, here we are. What is culinary school like? It's interesting. I mean, at the time I was there, it was before sort of the national and cultural change towards, you know, the restaurant chef celebrity status that we see now. I graduated in 05. That was an important year for restaurants because that's when Momofuku and David Chang opened up as well as Sean Brock started hitting, you know, really hard down in Charleston and things just started to evolve to the point where we know them now, which if you can remember prior to that, it was Food Network Television, Emerald, you know, some of the old guard chefs, but no real celebrity status and no real industry as we know it. So going into the culinary school in that time was definitely more of a trade school, definitely more of a, a skill-based um, education where they're teaching you technique. Towards the end of my time, you started to see more and more people come in that did not maybe understand what they wanted out of the program or where they were going or what the realities of the restaurant business were. So it was a weird time, but uh, fell in with a good group of people and 
Um, like any other point in my educational history, it's more about the connections you make than, than the technique or the skill set learned. So it got me everywhere else in the country I wanted to be. And then, uh, like I said, ended up here. So when you go to culinary school, do you, do you learn more on like what basic recipes and combinations are? Do they take you a little bit deeper into the science behind things and how, like, isn't there, there a lot of sophistication behind what acids and bases do with certain ingredients? So again, at that time, it was sort of before this molecular astronomy hit came, came about. So we truly were learning, like it's a school, the Culinary Institute of America up in New York that's founded on French techniques. So you're learning essentially hundreds of years old recipes, the mother sauces, basic technique throughout, and then they'll sprinkle in some other, you know, cuisines or cultural things. Um, but no, and it's, it's really just like the basics and then you get to expand upon that with your work, um, from there. So, so when did you finish? Uh, Oh five. My, my dates are horrendous. So we'll try to couple that together as you ask, but I think I graduated Oh five. So you finish in 05 and you get out and then do you immediately feel like you're you're ready to start a restaurant at that God point? God, no. Hell no. Like uh, there are people that think that and there are people that do that if you got the money. But I was head down, nose down, go work for the best people. Sort of always told myself in my whole career that I never want to work for anybody that's going to show me what not to do. I only want to work for people that are going to show me what to do. So I made it a point to just get out to work with who at the time I had access to or could find um, that were doing all the right things. And so that took me to Chicago for my internship to work for a guy that's a one-star Michelin, then out to California to work for a couple of different chefs that worked for Jean George in New York City, who's obviously really famous now. Took me to work for Gavin Kaysen, who is kind of the, the hot name up in Minneapolis right now, doing some cool stuff. And then finally, kind of my culmination there was at a restaurant called Cyrus in Sonoma, which is a two-star Michelin, or was. Unfortunately, they shut down, but they're going to kind of come back here in the near future. And then, uh, yeah, you're just you're just picking up little bits from every place you work, even less about recipe and, and more about technique and, and how people operate their business and and how stations work and things like that. So, so for th- those of us that don't frequent fancy places or maybe yeah, somebody yeah. who doesn't know, what uh, explain the Michelin system. Like, how do you earn a star or how do you get the second star? Or yeah. So, I mean, that was coming out of school and, and kind of that part of my life, that was what I was striving for. I wanted to have a restaurant that was a one Michelin star place. The Michelin rating has been historically the most sought after reward system in, in the food scene. It's the Michelin tire company out of, Fran- out of France. That's where it got its start. And it just came to the States right around that same time I was getting out of culinary school. It's only, the the rating system's only in a few cities here in in the U.S., but it's pretty much global other than that. Three-star is, you know, you're talking four, five hundred, six hundred, seven hundred dollars a plate, 20, 30 courses, the fanciest place you've ever been in, like suit and tie kind of thing. It's wild. Um, Two-star, they give a little bit more leeway on the service component. And so you can have a little bit more of a casual setting but still that refinement with the food. Still very high quality service, obviously, but a little bit more as we know now where it's that scale back. And then one star, and even the honorable mentions, um, I forget what they call it right now off the top of my head, but they're just, you know, maybe they excel at service or they excel at the food, but they're a lot more of the casual kind of, uh, you know you're eating that food, it's special, it's pretty magic, but it's done in an environment that anybody feels comfortable in, so. So how do you earn a star? You're grinding. I mean, there's a whole camp of people that think it's just bullshit, that it's, uh, you know, a marketing system, which 
you know, any kind of award structure is. How can anybody rate all of the restaurants in the country? Mm -hmm. You know, on an, in any given night, it can be a different experience for any one person. So it's typically your pedigree, who you're working for, where you're coming from, who your financial backing is to even get the notoriety, what the press is saying about you, um, which there's a very, you know, ancestral relationship there with the people that were at the top, then the folks that worked for them to get to where they are and kind of all is self-feeding. So is it kind of like an Oscar or like an Academy Award or yeah, something like that? Yeah, there, it is. It's, there's like a board of people that yeah, choose it. I mean, I think it's looked upon a little bit more with regard than some of the other awards because a lot of the other awards, James Beard or some of the other things are sort of viewed as like a lifetime achievement thing where it's years and years of your name in the, in the papers and your name in the, in the media. Whereas this truly is, well, supposedly is judged on, on the meal or the, the food or the service, whatever it is or at that time. I feel like that's changed a lot. The, not the legitimacy of these awards, but mm. with the, the age of social media and whatnot, you know, like sure. athletes that, you know, all pro is the press. And then there's yeah. like pro bowl. And there's a lot of, are you popular versus mm. are you actually the yeah. best, you know, hundred percent. And yeah. I think if anything, that's, it's leveling the playing field and bringing out the best because yeah. you can't just be, you know, the son of somebody anymore. You have For to sure. actually perform. And I, I think I, I, you know, there's a lot of things that social media does poorly, but that's definitely one of the things that I think, like I found out about so many places I would have had mm -hmm. no, no idea. Or like when we were touring, uh, you know, back in the, the music days when Twitter was finally out, we would just hit up people about a city, you know, yeah. and I would find where to eat restaurants, stuff like that, what to go, where to, where to go, what to do. So yeah, there are two quick things there. One, there's a top tier level of chefs right now that are actually actively giving their stars back because of the burdens that it brings to their business for, really? you know, just this unrelenting cycle of having to be perfect at all times. And as well as them just disagreeing with some of the politics that are involved. Mm -hmm. But yeah, to your point, it's, you know, there's a generation of cooks that came, came through basically my generation and slightly younger that don't want anything to do with it at all. They just want to find some cool space, do something cool, make a very specific type of food and, and just do them. And, and that's exciting for all, all of us to be able to eat that stuff. So our first sponsor is waveform music group. Andy and Carlin have been working with us to take the production of Conquering Columbus to the next level, and Josh and I cannot be happier with the results. Outside of podcast production, Andy and Carlin are experts in songwriting, music production, and sonic branding for companies of all sizes. And to learn more about them, head to their website, createwaveforms.com. That is createwaveforms.com, and tell them Conquering Columbus sent you. I think your business is one that's a, a true testament of what I was talking about. Like, I, I don't think I go, every time I check Instagram, somebody's tagged me with a bagel of yours folded yeah. in half in their hand in some like, you yeah. know, sexy setting or whatever. I mean, so I, I think it's been very he's good. He's describing when he sees me at work. Yeah. Every yeah, day yeah, you every time, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that, that's, uh, it's 2020 pre COVID. I mean, you almost have to build your restaurant with that in mind. Yeah. Um, my, my wife played a big part in that and in, in the aesthetic and, and the feel, but anybody that isn't going for at least someone of that social media presence is missing a big opportunity. So. Oh, hundred percent. That is an interesting point though. The fact that social media has provided a voice and changed the structure of power when it mm -hmm. comes to things like a, an award system or providing the light and limelight on organizations that are actually doing a good job versus mm -hmm. just the ones who are 
um, well-versed at PR can, can get the word out about yeah, doing a good job. For sure. I will say, I hope you guys do amazing things, but I hope you never win three-star Michelin yeah, if no, you no, start no. charging $600 <laughs> for no. a bagel. I'm yeah. going to literally lose my entire we life. We already get knocked for being pricey, even though we don't really capture the full value of what we are. So, yeah. So, so how much weight do you take into the experience? I, I went to one, I don't know if it was a three-star or what it was, it was a place in Chicago called Alinea, yep. and they were all about the, the holistic experience. Yep. It was very cool experience. Um, everything from the smells to the taste, to the mm-hmm. lights around me, to the people, uh, like everything was really interesting. And I think they placed a lot of value on that. When you go into like your restaurant and you were thinking about your concept, how much was it based on just the food and the flavor versus the holistic experience yeah. to the point that you're delivering the product to somebody? No, I think, um, where I'm at in my life, it, it developed into the whole approach. Um, a younger version of me would have only cared about the food and nothing else. And, and, uh, and just push for the quality of the food, which we have that. I haven't given one inch on on that aspect, but it definitely, we built the restaurant and the brand for that matter. I mean, at this point, we we were not just building out the 1600 square foot space. We're building something that we want to be around. And so each decision was made with that kind of holistic approach. You know, to me, it's, yeah, you know, a lot of it is my own personal taste and preference. So who's to say that's right or wrong, but um, the aesthetic, the color profile, the branding, the logo, the music that's played in there, the volume it's played at, the way we serve the food, the way we wrap the food, all of that. It's part of the experience. And it was all thought of pretty intently. I get a double wrap every time. Double wrap every time. They comment that's on not it. Cheap. They, they always say, they always say, I had a double wrap. So I'm like, hey, <laughs> I said, it's not easy working with me. Yes, sir. <laughs> so, so how does that change with COVID, the whole experience? I mean, you put all yeah. this time and energy into making sure. the study on the internal, right? Yeah. You know, it it's heartbreaking for a number of reasons that you don't get to to see the full view of what we are. Um, but us being a majority carryout business as it is, much of that with guests coming in, ordering your food, and then taking it out, logistically, we didn't have to switch too much up. So we are definitely focused a lot more on food quality and then just speed right now because we've had plenty of experiences ourselves dining out in the COVID era where you have to wait an extended period of time because of all the valid concerns, right? Understaffed demand is kind of weird right now. And, and a lot of people aren't built for it and we happen to be. So now we're just focused on speed and trying to get people in and out of there as fast as possible with, uh, with maintaining our quality and our consistency. So one of the things that I'm curious about it, why a bagel shop? What made, what drew you to bagels? Yeah, no, that's an excellent question, um, especially with what my goals were, kind of what my background was. So when I came back to Ohio, I was transitioning from California to take a job in New York, stopped off in Cincinnati, had some stuff there, had a friend uh, getting ready to open a restaurant, kind of was a financing nightmare. So that was, I went in to help him out for a little while, had some medical stuff at home. So I, I stayed in Cincinnati a little while and uh, watched what that was just just a shit show, just trying to finance. It was a great restaurant, but like the money situation was a real eye opener for me. So that was what kicked it in to be like, Hey, I need to get this locked down, maybe earn some cash to sell finance or do whatever I need to do to, to, to make that transition smoother. Um, and that's what brought me to grad school at Ohio state. And after grad school, I started working for North star and they sort of changed my perception a little bit to understanding the, you know, quality versus experience dynamic and not being so full service oriented or so, you know, striving for that next level, but still unrelenting quality in terms of local product, um, technique, all that kind of stuff. So I bring that up because 
during that time frame is where I started to also, I met my wife. We started thinking family. It's like, how do I balance all of this stuff? Cause you know, chefs and, and high-end restaurant owners are, are grinding, you know, it's 80, 90 hours a week. It's uh late, late nights. You're going to miss everything in your kids' lives. Didn't want that. So Jenna, my wife and I started just kind of kicking ideas around. I had a bunch of different business plans on, on paper um, of what I could figure out that would both satisfy all of the things I wanted out of the space, but also give our family the best possible situation we could be in as well. And through Northstar, and at that time in my life, we got to travel a bunch. We have family on the West Coast and just started noticing the resurgence of artisan bread. Jewish deli scene was starting to get like, not old school Jewish deli scene that was always there, but like this resurgence in, in interest in Jewish food. I'm, I'm not Jewish, but um, started eating a bunch of it, really enjoyed it. Um, the artisan bread thing, you know, the gluten-free thing was kicked except for the actual celiacs. And so people were more open to artisan bread and, and handmade technique and all that kind of stuff. So we went to a few bagel shops and they were stellar and it was like the wheels started turning and we picked and, and chose from a couple of different places that inspired us and started running some numbers like, is this valid and, and can we actually make it work? And uh, yeah, so here we are. And what did that zero to one process look like? I mean, you get the idea, you come back here, you say you're going to do it. Mm -hmm. And then where do you go from there? You just start making Yeah, so labels? I'd say it was probably about three or four years ago at this point um, where it really started becoming something. And I started seriously thinking about that particular concept, you know, bagels as, as my future, you know? So yeah, it was, it was a ton of just R and D. It was uh, which, which especially for restaurant folks means going to other restaurants, trying food, you know, spend 20 plus years doing something. You can figure it out by just tasting it and, and watching and observing. Um, did some stages at some restaurants to kind of figure it out. A lot of home bagels, um, just, just reading about, gluten and bread and the Jewish deli culture and what's going to work and what's not. And then all of the time there, I was still with Northstar who was paying me to do the job there, but that was a good enough job and a stable enough job in terms of time that I was able to do kind of both, especially towards the end there to, to push it open. Um, so I stayed on with them through up until August of 18 and we opened in December of 18, which is a really fortunate situation for especially a restaurant startup, but to have that, well, health insurance and some money coming in while you're still building out the restaurant was was a nice nice benefit. And when you start, is it just you working or you already have employees lined up? No, it was just me. And then, uh, so my number two, Silas Caton, who was, uh, he's been around Columbus scene for a while, a couple of really great restaurants here. And uh, I started sort of recruiting him um, through a connection through Northstar in maybe December of 17, January of 18, and uh, really was targeting him to try to get him. And that was the only thing I was doing in terms of employees or anything like that. And when he finally committed, maybe June or July of that eight, 18, we would sit down and, you know, have little meetings when I wasn't working. And as soon as we stopped the North Star, we were together every day, just kind of taking his insights and building it out together and, and going from there. Our next sponsor is FMX. FMX is a computerized maintenance management system that helps organizations accelerate their operational success. And FMX enables you to streamline processes, increase asset productivity, and turn actionable insights into meaningful results. If you'd like to learn more, check them out at their website, gofmx.com. That's G-O-F-M-X.com. The Burlett Family Foundation. The Burlett Family Foundation is a local nonprofit that's committed to helping their partners build upon their strengths. They turn visions of what if into sustainable resources for the community. 
So we're closing in on two years. Yep. And I'm guessing you didn't expect year two to go quite like Jeez. Uh, this year. <laughs> I mean, there it's been it's been insane. Like I don't know what life would be like if it was just maybe 2017 and 2018. It'd mm-hmm. be uh, insane. But yeah, you know, out of the gates, we we were hit right away. So it was how are we going to maintain this in this little space? It's it's wild. And then, you know, in February, some of the stuff that we talked about was uh, we weren't accepting cash right away. So there was a month there that wasn't an ideal living situation with the stress and the pressure that was coming from that decision. And then uh, the summer of last year, it was not a great summer for us. Um, we still had yet to establish ourselves and we were just scraping by. It didn't really feel great as a long-term viable option. And then as the fall came back, the students came back, um, we still, we really started hitting our stride and, and started 2020 in a really great spot. And then started hearing some rumblings in, in early February, mid-February. And me being who I am, I started getting, you know, a little panicky about it. So I was getting on some folks, the banks, the landlords and stuff early, which helped our transition through the whole process really go fairly smooth. And then it hit and March was brutal. I mean, for everybody, but, uh, the mental stress, the exhaustion of not knowing what's next of every hour, you're learning something new. You know, the, one of the, one of the hardest things is that the small business owner has been put in the position to be making all of these calls with moderate to little guidance. And, uh, they're in some cases, life or death calls they are very serious calls. And, and it's, it's a lot of weight to bear there. And, uh, but we uh, made the call to not let guests in the building before DeWine actually put the carryout order in place. And there hasn't been guests in since. And like Josh can tell you, it's a uh, pull up, get your food, get out of there as fast as possible. There's no real opportunity for gathering any, any way. And our team is mature, smart, awesome people who are taking it serious outside of work as well. And uh, we have honest conversations about what's going on every day and, and just uh, try to do the right thing. I'll be honest. I I love. It. I hope it stays like that forever. I mean, I'm, yeah. I'm always in a hurry to get somewhere else. Yeah. You know, as I showed up late here, but yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just am trying to get. And I love the fact that I drive up and they just hand it to my window. I'm like, yeah. I mean, it's it's been a conversation multiple times about what the future of the business looks like, both in our growth aspirations, but also in what this iteration looks like because we've actually been doing pretty well and we're really dialing our systems in and. You know, in February of 2020, people would have thought of that as the greatest service ever. You know, look at Swenson's. It's all kids running out to your car and bring everything to you in your car. And now we're doing that by force. So if there's some element of that that sustains, it turns what last year was a B minus location off the high street there into an A plus location because of the parking and that the ability to do exactly what you just said. So. Yeah, you almost literally have a built in drive through. Yeah, exactly. on accident. Yeah, <laughs> it's kind of wild. Yeah. So emotional roller coaster from starting day when you turn on the lights, Mm -hmm. are people like calling you already or was it just kind of like crickets? No, we, even before we opened the doors, there was some buzz. The very first thing written about us, I think it, it, it actually pegged us as a North Star brand. And we got a ton of people early on that thought we were associated with North Star. It was just that I had worked there. We got people thought we were Cameron Mitchell, you know, like, which is, is a compliment. Yeah. Yeah, Because that means we had a pretty refined product coming out of the gates. And we've only gotten yeah. better since then, but yeah, we just, we hit, we hit right away and we're very lucky for that. And that let us, you know, overstaff and make sure we we're doing all the right things and weather some, some days that maybe we were a little slower in the kitchen, but still got people, you know, hot, fresh food. And yeah. And then, like I said, the dip in the summer was a little brutal because I'd never worked in a restaurant that wasn't just banging all the time. And so that took some adjustment to get used to. And then now we're back. So. 
how do you how do you ride that wave? Like once you felt things starting to get hot and people mm-hmm. talking about it, did you start like plugging and marketing in certain areas and say uh, we're doubling down? We've done nothing to really push our business ahead in terms of marketing other than the the Instagram page and the occasional Facebook. I mean, for the first couple of months, I don't even we didn't have a phone. We weren't answering. Like we got one phone line and the online ordering and that's it. Or are you coming up? I told myself for that first year, we were gonna try the business model as is. And if it you know, showed promise or it worked, then we're going to push through and we'll start adding little things in. And if it didn't work, then we'll adjust and we'll move on. And, uh, it worked. So we really haven't captured the full essence of what we could get if we were out there marketing or pushing or the majority of what we've done is just, we'll co-brand with certain, certain chefs or or products or people in town that we really believe in and, and, and really admire. And that's, that's helped us get a little bit of a following. And then just little things like this, you know, where, you know, it's a good brand and hope it, it turns out to, to help both parties, you know? Are we going to get a hot chicken bagel soon? Uh, we've talked. We've yeah. talked. Joe uh, and I have talked. I'm I mean, ready for that. I would be. Yeah. We did a little thing with Watershed that was like a, kind of like a spicy, not kind of Nashville, but a hot chicken thing. That if was, you start giving shots with the bagels, I'll be there every day. Yeah. yeah. For sure. <laughs> you need your own page. Just a bagel, <laughs> uh. A bagel fanatic page, man. If I can, if I can get one named after me, let's do it. The the sandwich you make when we got the chicken skins. Uh, all right. What's your What's your order, Josh? Uh, I get egg, sausage, bacon, avocado, and sometimes I get chicken skins. It's good with the chicken skins, but I'll be honest. After I eat that, I'm like, I probably made a mistake. Yeah, yeah. I'm like I'm down. not gonna get much done for the yeah. next few hours. <laughs> I don't even see. How, are there That's chicken skins bagel. on the menu? There, it's like a special item every once in a while because uh. we use the chicken fat to fry our potatoes in. So. You need to render the fat out of the skins. We don't always have them, but gotcha. Sometimes. Okay. See, this is how you know Josh orders a lot because he knows yeah, the chicken skins the are there sometimes. Yeah, so he, he knows exactly what's too. going on. Hey there, Conquerors. We want to take a quick moment to talk about one of our sponsors, Studio 301. Kyle and his team have helped us redesign our website, taking the podcast in a new direction that we truly love. And we have some incredible guests here on the show. And Studio 301 has given us a website that reflects the caliber of the people that join us. And the Studio 301 team can help you with everything from brand strategy and redesigns to market research, videography, social media overhauls, and a whole lot more. You can go check them out at studio301.org. That's studio301.org. Throughout all this, right? Ups and downs, you know, here mm-hmm. you are today. Things are kind of on the upswing again. Mm-hmm. You know, we're kind of through the, hopefully through the toughest part of this, as long as everyone yeah, can you mask know, up. It's and- funny you say that. I, I feel like the last week, maybe week to 10 days is... We, we hit our stride post-March, you know, April, May, June, and most of July. Um, we were doing our thing. Didn't, I mean, we were safe and always thinking about it, but we were getting so busy and we were, we were just kind of pushing, pushing, pushing. And then it feels like this last week there's some of that, you know, outside pressure and some of the same thoughts in, in my head that we were having in March that mm-hmm. you just never know. I mean, it, at the pace we're going, it's inevitable that somebody around us is, is going to get it and then what we do from there is kind of to be determined. It, do, it does seem like a weird breaking point right yeah, now. It feels it like people kind of went back and they got used to life as normal and everybody's mm-hmm. getting a reality check and what's going to happen in the next few months. I can't imagine they close down the economy again. Mm-hmm. I just, I, I don't imagine what it's going to do to yeah. everybody. Yeah. Like it's, there is no second wave for restaurants. It's already devastated so many of, you know, our friends mm-hmm. across the country and even locally and, it's it's sad to think about if uh, if we have to do it again because places just aren't going to make it. So I'll buy you a house. 
<laughs> you living it for free as long as you make me bagels. We'll, we'll stay open. Yeah, we'll, we'll keep pushing. We're we're in an all right spot, so I think we can uh, we can hang. Oh man, well, so I guess probably not looking that far out right now. Probably yeah. eyes are on the ball, you know, right here, right now. Yep. But have you thought about long term aspirations? Yeah, for- I mean, uh, the whole thing was built with the idea that there's multiple units of this, you know, and uh, we've had some. We were having some very serious conversations on growth prior to COVID and we're back into that a little bit. Like I said before, what this has brought to light is what kind of space we can look at and how flexible we can be with what I always thought was going to be a bigger space, but maybe it doesn't need to be with the way things are going now. But yeah, I mean, we'll push real hard to hit something, you know, front half of 21 to try to grow, but I'm biased obviously, but what makes us great is that we've got an amazing team. We all are on the same page in terms of quality and and technique and standards. And you see it happen so often that as soon as growth happens, you start to lose some of those things. So it will be tempered and controlled to be able to retain all of that. So that'll be the hardest challenge. But I think, you know, commercial real estate is is going to be available and we hope to put ourselves in a position to jump soon. So. so talk about that a little bit too. I'm curious on two things. What does the team structure look like in terms of the amount of yep. people you have in the different positions? And mm-hmm. then Another question, do you guys make everything in-house or we how do. much are you bringing in? Yeah, no, I mean, we we partner, you know, like Prospect Jam Company out of Cincinnati does our fancy jam. Obviously, coffee isn't ours. Um, we buy a farm bulk uh, cream cheese out of a farm in Pennsylvania and then add things to that. But everything else we we do in-house, so. You don't have chickens and cows out back? Nah, no, no, no. Be nice. But uh, we try to keep things as with our hands on them and, and, and streamlined and rooted in technique, even though to the public, it's just a bagel sandwich, but there's a whole lot of work that are going into both the bagels and the protein and the meats and the fish and all the things that we're handling. So we're doing as much as we possibly can with a very small space and uh, pretty proud of where we are in terms of the structure of the team. Um, like I said, Silas is my number two. And then we've got 14 employees total. I think eight of them are full-time and most of them have been there since day one. We've had very few uh, people leave the team. And when it is, it's for something bigger in their lives, which is pretty great. A testament to that, I actually have my wife's in-law's nephew is in town from California. And he came last year and he come this year. And the first thing he said, he's 14. He's like an avid baker and he wanted to get in and just see us is how it was cool that everybody was the same as last year and everybody remembered him and stuff. So very abnormal for the restaurant business, but sort of our approach to things and and what I'm trying to achieve has worked out well for us so far. Yeah, we're 14 people, but remember, we're only breakfast and lunch. We're only open six hours a day. So um, it takes a lot of the pressure off in terms of what needs to be done from a typical full-service restaurant. And what what went into that decision? Have you ever thought about expanding dinner hours? Not with that concept. I mean, I think down the road, if we were fortunate enough to grow this to two, maybe three units, I'd stop there. I wouldn't grow the locks at all anymore. Um, you, you, it's just too hard to keep that quality and, and that technique the way I was just um, kind of describing. But if there's somebody on our team and there are people on our team that have the dream of owning their own restaurants, we have sort of a vision that we talk about internally to get them whatever that is that they are looking for and sort of become a partner in that somehow, some way. Because, man, I, I miss full service. I miss nighttime service. I miss wine. You know, it's it's something that I'm you know, I'll always love, but do I miss getting home at one o'clock in the morning and then the kids waking me up at seven in the morning? No, I don't. So I don't see myself in that world ever, but I hope that 
the team or the company is able to, you know, push some folks into that world. Josh is like over there, like, are you sure you don't want to <laughs> open up for dinner? Like, yeah. dude, I would, I would, one guy. I would love it. We've got, we've got, um, we got some cool ideas that we could do too. So it, it does on occasion, it gets there. I'm like, man, we could just do this and actually like do really well and, and fill some, some gaps where, where the city doesn't have some things. So yeah. Dinner bagel, throw a steak on yeah, that dude. bad boy. <laughs> name, name that one after me. <laughs> you know, one of the, one of the things with the space too is since we are shut down at two o'clock every day is to utilize it for pop-ups. And we were just starting to be able to do that guy named BJ Lieberman, who's opening a restaurant down in German village came with a great background from DC and, uh, his kind of introduction to the food scene here in Columbus was through a pop-up that he did at our spot, which went really well. And like the idea is to be able to utilize the space in that kind of way. But obviously, you know, COVID took that out pretty quick. Do you feel like it creates, I don't know if I want to say a stronger brand, but more of a sense of exclusiveness only being open for those certain hours as opposed to if you open it for dinner, it kind of wouldn't be as, as yeah, for sure. And there's still days where we're running out of bagels by noon. You know, when we first opened, we didn't stay open. It took us a month to hit our closing hours because we were selling out of product and we just didn't know how to ramp up and we've ramped up today. We did 200 and what, 240 pounds of dough to get ready for the weekend. And that might not be enough. And how, how uh, many bagels is 240 pounds of dough? Yeah. Uh, Math. I don't know. Sorry. Sorry no, to put you on the spot. Wait, wait, I want to try and guess. Hold on. 240 pounds of dough. Each bagel is what? Four ounces? Something like that. Yeah. I bet you, so I bet you, three, I bet you a bagel is probably at least four a bagels a pound. So it's I would say about a thousand bagels. I'm, I'm guessing 1,300. We're bagels. at about, you know, 850 to 900 bagels. Ooh. And then we'll go do another three X tomorrow, another two or three X on Saturday. Just it's like, it's nonstop. It's, it's a grind, but it's good. Josh, your math was off 15. There's 16 <laughs> ounces in a pound. Well, I was very optimistic. It's in four. Yeah, <laughs> never mind. All right. <laughs> he just matter. wants to eat them. Doesn't matter. Uh, oh, so, yeah, I did 12. I did 12. Yeah, you did 12, huh? But, right, yeah, well, but then somehow you ended up with more bagels. It'd be better, yeah. I don't know how your math. Can we yeah. circle back to who actually supports the you restaurant? Got, Josh, <laughs> hold on. When's the last time you had a lox bagel sandwich? Oh, Josh, I, I have not yet. Okay. And well, I, but I'm going uh -oh. to. I'm disgusted. And Josh... It was a math major. I just want to have it for the record. Josh had a major in theoretical math, and I just outmathed him. So, well, the, his, put his it on theory the was there, I suppose, but right. not the actual. Uh, <laughs> yeah, my theory was execution was poor. They made calculators for yeah. a reason. <laughs> um, okay, so what's in the first two years of owning your own place? What what's the biggest lesson you've learned? What's the biggest takeaway from that? Yeah, I mean, being able to weather the storms, man. It's a, it's like a nonstop, right? When you think something's going well, you start to plan accordingly and then you get another curveball. It seems unrelenting at times, but, you know, it's everything I wanted it to be. I I, I was a shitty employee my whole life because I've always wanted to do my own thing, you know? And uh, so that's come to, and I, I'm, I think it's a sense of pride. It's a, a sense of exhaustion and, and pain, but also pride and joy and love and and just being humbled by people's repeat business and liking what you do because it's a really raw thing to be in this business and put things out there that you've thought about or worked on or even just to cook food for people. It's you're putting it out there and it's my opinion. It's, it's not yours. So to mm -hmm. expect that somebody's going to like it and come back and, and be appreciative. It's just, it's cool. You know, it's a good feeling. And we're probably heading to the last question here soon. So I have one more. As you were looking at the marketplace and the landscape, especially here in Columbus, and you're yep. looking, I mean, there's other bagel shops here. Yeah. There's one, I think it's starting Toledo because I've had it since I was a kid called Barry's Bagels. Berries, yep. I've always liked that a lot. Mm -hmm. Where did you feel like you were going to differentiate yourself and were you at all intimidated by that? No, I think uh, that's the wrong approach to it. I think uh, what we do is so different than what, you know, Jeremy's doing over at Blocks or that Sammy's does or 
and they each have their niche in, in the market here. And no, I think, like I said, we, we differentiated out of the gates with, with what we are. And I've met with a few of those guys and we joke that we could be side by side and still have our own demographic and be able to do what we do. So, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I mean, I don't know bagels enough to know like the intricacies of it, but when you look at each one, like I've, yeah. I've looked at the places and they seem like you could tell they have their own unique. Yeah. We're not a New York style bagel, right. even though people peg us as that, but they are, and and that's what they do. And mm-hmm. this is what we do. And we've had conversations, um, a little bit with blocks to do like a bagel party kind of thing, get some beer and, and throw a little party. And you know, it's, it's not competition. Like I don't, I'm not out to beat anybody in terms of this game. I'm, I'm out to, make myself and my family proud and, and, and do what we know how to do and, and have fun with it. So sounds like a good mindset. And mm-hmm. I think it is time, unless we have any other questions to move towards our uh, last question of the show centered around the theme here on conquering Columbus. And uh, that is live uncomfortably. Hmm. So Kevin, without telling you too much about why we chose that particular phrase, uh, what do you think of when you hear it? How does it apply to your life? I think career? the last 18 years or 18 months of my life, it's uh, you're not growing if you're comfortable. And mm-hmm. so where we are today, 18 months later, I think we've gotten 10 years of experience out of this last 18 months. And it's because we've done exactly that. There's never been a moment of comfort. And the second there is, it's something else popping up and we just got to get stronger and better. And where we are now is, like I said, we look back at our early pictures. We talk to people that came in right out of the gates our own memories were, were far superior now than, than where we were. And hopefully just keep getting better. It's a good answer, Kevin. And uh, thanks so much for taking the time yeah, to come in and share Thank your you story guys. and talk about Locks Bagel Shop. Yeah, I appreciate it. Everybody, thanks for tuning in. If you enjoyed the episode, go check out Locks Bagel Shop. And uh, we'll talk to you next week. Next week.